Well, once again, a treat to be back with you. For you that weren't here last week, I had the privilege of beginning a, a two-part message that fits into our series. And if you're a part of the church, you're online and maybe new, the series is By Faith. And uh, I'm using a text, uh, Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then we're rooting into a bigger text, a larger text, which is in the book of Numbers. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Last week, I began by asking the question, if you had one gift that you could give to Almighty God, one gift, what would you give Him? And I suggested that a good answer to that question, not the, but a good answer would be faith. It would be a demonstration of faith. I'm not just talking about the faith of salvation. I'm talking about now as Christians, most of us here are followers of Jesus. What would we give him? Why not a demonstration of faith? As I address that, I, uh, I suggested that we'd be talking about this subject matter. Faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible. Now, in light of that, I described what faith living is. Just a quick summary here from last week. I described it this way. Believing the Word of God, submitting to the will of God, acting as if God has already provided what He has promised, and then waiting on God while experiencing supernatural peace. So just a, a, a simple definition. Now, what is the seemingly impossible? I suggested last week, it's not anything that we're wanting very badly, whatever we think of, not so at all. Rather, anything described as this, listen carefully, because this is where we plowed some territory that probably some were kind of never thought of that before. Number one, what God has revealed as His will and His written Word. Okay, everybody as a follower of Christ, probably agrees that's the will of God. If we believe the Bible is His authoritative word, then we say, yep, whatever He says in here is what we're to do. I like to think of it this way. It is not only His will to do what His word says, it is wise to do what His word says. So it is the will of God, it is the wisdom of God. But I added a second that this is where some would say, I never thought of this before, it is God's will for us to do that which He has revealed outside of His Word, not in the Bible at all, but either through His ordained authorities or by the leading of the conscience. And then we went in a little bit to what I was talking about. Uh, what do you mean His ordained authorities? Three authorities. The family, number two, the civil magistrate, that would be our government, and three, the church. And I tried to explain why that is so, went through three scriptures and so forth. Now, here's the point here. As we follow His will through these two means, whether it be our conscience or through His authorities, whenever that happens, it is the will of God to obey. Unless what we are hearing goes against the Word of God, whether our conscience is telling us to do something that the Bible says not to do and so forth, or whether the government or parents or, or doesn't matter, any of these God-given authorities, when they say, you're to do this, and the Bible says, oh, no, you're not to do that, 
then you obey God rather than man. But outside of that, it is the will of God. However, it may not be the wisdom of God because this is an infallible, it is a fallible authority. And though they are given this right to declare the will of God for us as Christians, it may not even be wise to do what they say. But it's the will of God if it is from his authority. It's kind of hard, isn't it? Unless you're a parent. If you're a parent and you say, child, I want you to obey, and they say, nope, doesn't say so in the Bible, I'm not going to do it. Remember I used the illustration? You, you, then you love to be able to say, oh, it is the will of God. Why? Because I'm the parent. I'm the God-given authority. Children, obey your parents. This is the will of God. You see, we tend to think this way, even in God's church today. I will obey. Even what my parents say, even what the government says, even what the church says, I'll obey if I agree. If I think it's wise, then that's the will of God. You can have the will of God that goes against the wisdom of God. Always remember that. Now, in light of that, we illustrated faith living through the text of Numbers 13 and 14. And it is an illustration. This is Moses speaking. And Moses is illustrating this very thing we're talking about. Uh, I suggested that it was not his intention when he wrote this. I, I can't read his heart and mind, but you gather through the scriptures, understanding the word of God. He was not giving us this story in Numbers to say, okay, now you exhibit that same kind of faith. It is a wonderful illustration to encourage us to do so, and I'm using it that way. But at the end, I'll show you the deeper meaning of why he's writing our text. So let's look at our three things that I'm just saying, truths that come from the illustration of Numbers, the story of Numbers uh, 13 and 14. Number one of three I went through last week was this, faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible focuses on the will of God rather than our unsurmountable obstacles. We're either going to look at the will of God or we're going to see the obstacles. It's going to be one or the other. And so I went through an outline last week. I'm just going to tell you the story real quickly, and then we jump into two and three. The story was this. Moses tells the, uh, the leaders of Israel at that time that he had selected, Joshua and Caleb, and he says, look, I want you to do this. I want you to pick out one person from every tribe, and I want that group to go into the land of Canaan that I have promised to give to you. I've made the promises earliest to Abraham. And so I will give you the property, but you have to go first and check it out. Go spy on it. And so he does just that. He picks his 12. They go out. He says, by the way, when you go out, find out, is it, are, are, the, are the people there strong or are they weak? Is the land good or is it bad? Are, are the cities strong and fortified or are they weak and easy and vulnerable, able to take over easily? And so they go out and they see everything that they see. And as they do, for 40 days, they scout out the land. They come back and they say to Moses, they say, oh, Moses, let me tell you, you're talking about a great property. Look at this fruit. And they had actually brought some grapes that it took a pole, two men carrying for one cluster. They said the land flows with milk and honey. 
It's everything you said it would be. Because God is true. He said this would be a wonderful land. And he says, you can have that land. It's yours. And so with that, the report comes back to Moses. And the two, Joshua and Caleb, say, you know what? We got to do this. This is what God says. This is his will. We can do it. But the report said this. This was the minority or the majority. The majority report came back and said, whoa, 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 whoa. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They are so big. The cities are so fortified. There is no way that we could ever go about winning the battle of that land. We should not go. And there the problem began. So the Israelites, as we would understand, they're focusing not on the will of God right now. They're focusing on the seemingly impossible. So I ended last week saying this, just asking the question, what is the seemingly impossible for you? Is it having a marriage that could truly be God-honoring and, and even a delight to live in? Does that seem impossible to some of us? Or, or is it having to do with our finances? Are we saying, you know, I, I hear the church always talking about God's leading and, 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 and the teaching of the church, to, uh, of the Word of God, to, to give the tithe uh, to the storehouse. And uh, that just is impossible. I could never do that. There's not a way in the world I could do that. I can't obey my parents if you're a child or whatever. There's just something always that we're facing. I know what God says, but I just can't do it. You mean stopping pornography? Are you kidding me? I can't stop that. There's no way I can do that. And the list goes on and on. So just pick it. What is it in your own experience? All of us have something. I found myself, as I went over this again this morning and through the week, I'm thinking, God, what a sermon I need to have preached to me. Because every one of us have obstacles that are causing us to decide, I can't when it comes to the great will of God. So let's look at number two of our three points. Faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible Hear this, expects fears, but does not run from them. I am afraid that Christians are buying the idea, maybe they're hearing it from the pulpit in some form or fashion. They're saying, if I am going to do that which is faith-oriented, then I should never have fear in the midst of doing so. Because... You know, God says so, and just trust him. There's no fear. Just trust him. Folks, I don't agree with that. I don't think so at all. Fear is natural. It is. Faith is supernatural. Listen to Numbers 13, 30 and 31. Here was the story to illustrate. Then Caleb, one of the two spokespersons for God, quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, the land, for we will surely overcome it, meaning 
the obstacle. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So now it's, it's very much identified. What is the obstacle? Now the question, how am I going to exhibit faith? And what does that faith look like? May I suggest to you that it's not referring to an emotion or a feeling to no longer experience fear. Fear is a feeling. It's brought about by beliefs that are wrong. We understand. But we are broken people. And so we have fear. No more should we think that I should not fear at all. Uh, any more than joy would mean that, that uh, there should be an absence of sadness. There should be an absence of emotional pain or disappointment. Why don't I have joy as a Christian? I should have more joy. Oh, I wish I could feel joyful right now. What? what, what? Did you say feel joyful or be joyful? And a lot of us make no distinction between the two of those. Or no more so than doubt. Oh, I'm a Christian. I should never doubt. And I, I have these doubts that come along every now and then. What, what if I'm not a Christian? Oh, I know I'm a Christian, but I, that's a doubt. Oh, I should never, 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 never doubt. Feeling? Nothing wrong with feelings. But they're not to be valued, to be trusted. Certainly not, as it means to be trusted. No more so than to love means to have a feeling. You ever wondered, well, if we're supposed to love, and love is, is a, an emotion that we feel, and it can be. But if it is truly an emotion to determine if or if not I'm loving, how in the world would we be able to love our enemies? Well, I have to get to the point where I can say, I just love being with my enemies. They're so mean to me. They're so cruel. They're so bad. They're so horrible. I just love it. It's just, I just delight to be with them. I'm in love with my enemy. No. Let me tell you, some of our kids... Are going to walk into marriages. Some of us young people here are, are now thinking of marriage and future and so forth. And we think, well, it's a feeling, and I have to have this feeling. It's one of the most misleading things in the world. Anything wrong with a feeling? No, but let me tell you, love is a commitment. It's based on the will of God. Yes, God is saying, love that person. So be loving to them. Love is a commitment based on the will of God, but the good news is often, not always necessarily, but often undergirded by an emotion that says, oh, I feel what God tells me to do. What a delightful place to be. But I'm telling you, it's a very, very dangerous thing to start thinking, okay, faith, I've got to feel it now. I've got to feel so confident that I don't even have any worries. I have no thoughts, no concerns, no fears. That I'm never going to have those emotions. That is not what God's Word teaches. Let me illustrate. Nothing better than personal experiences. 
I remember when we were relocating our church. That was a big deal for us. We didn't have any money. We were a, a church that was not poor, but we certainly had no coffers, no monies, and so forth. And, and, uh, and we had a sense of conscience in our leadership that we were to uh, buy a particular piece of property. And it was an overwhelming sense that God was telling us, go for it. We could not tell you how that was going to happen. But we had a property already. We'd outgrown. We had to sell it before we could possibly get on this. And so uh, there was a time issue. We sold our property uh, before we could have our fundraiser because we had to get the property, the money down and so forth. Won't tell the story. But here we were now having sold our property, about to lose use of it. And we've got to move to another location. And I'm thinking, this is not looking good. Uh, we'd already done our homework and saw that the money didn't look like it was going to be enough and so forth. We'd already made uh, one offering and request, and we had it, and we'd already now sold the property, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. At the same time, I started having this sense, a strong sense that God was asking me to leave the leadership of this church I'd planted. And uh, I, I did something I don't do very often. I started weeping. And I told Carol, I, I, Carol could tell. I, she said, Are, you know, is this midlife crisis for you or what? You know, and I said, no, I, I think God's telling me to leave this church that we love so much. I really don't know, but I think he is. And I'll never forget. I had to go on a speaking commitment uh, down south in Georgia, and I was passing through a city where I, I spent the night with a dear friend who was a, a tennis pro. I was a big tennis player, and and I had always had a goal when I started playing tennis. I want to beat this pro. I want to beat him one time in my life. Legitimately beat him. We always played together whenever we were together. And so that evening we played a, a match and I barely beat him. He played the worst of his life. I played the best of my life and I barely beat him. And I was so excited. And he said to me, he said, Pope, you can't beat me. How did you do that? We're going to check this out. We're going to get up early in the morning before you drive down to speak, and we're going to play another match early morning. I said, no, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> well, he didn't give me a chance. He didn't give me a chance. He said, no, we're, we're doing it. He drags me out of the bed early, and we're out there. And I think he beat me love and love. If you know the scores of tennis, you know that's not a real good match you've played. And so anyway, he whoops me something badly. We're walking off the court. I'll never forget what he said. He said, Pope, I've seen you play poorly in the past. I've never seen you not try. You weren't even trying. What's the problem? And I had to confess. I said, I'll tell you my problem. My problem is fear of failure. Because I knew it was amazing that I could beat you once. I probably could never do it again. And I thought, if I don't try, I'll never know. And I left for my speaking trip, and my conscience haunted me. And I came back, and I realized, and I made a confession to a group I was speaking to when I got back. I said, you know what? I understand the fear of failure. I just exhibited it. I wasn't sensing a call of God to, to lead me away. I was just afraid to fail. And this is what I journaled that next morning in my journal. I'd been 
in my devotions come to the point where they were crossing the Red Sea. Most of you know the story. And this is what I said in light of that. I've led our church to the seashore. There's no way out. Pharaoh's army is getting closer and closer. I'm sure our members are beginning to wonder whether the water is going to part. My confidence in my ability to get the people across the sea has vanished. And in light of my diminished confidence, I found myself both frightened and discouraged. Hear those words. Part of my fear is my growing concern that the closer Pharaoh gets, the more unwilling our congregation might be to stand in faith to see the waters part. I am committed. Those are my words. I am committed to leading them across. Not all will go with us, but win or lose, meaning live or drown, we're going to be faithful. Do you see how a commitment is what rules faith? It's not a feeling. Oh, I feel like I could tithe my resources now. I just feel it's going to work out. No, the greatest demonstration of faith is when we say, oh, my feelings say what you say is not true. But my mind and thus my heart says, I'm going after what you tell me to do. That's faith, and that's when great things happen. I can say this with full integrity. When I got back and said, we're going to see this thing through, whether it works or it doesn't, we'll be in the will of God because we know that God has given us the conscience that's something we should do. We've made the decision. We're moving. Let's keep going. And I'm telling you what, it was one of the most exciting periods of my Christian life I've ever experienced. As I said then, and I've said it over and over recounting, I'd say, I'd wake up and I'd say, God, what are you going to do today? Because I watched God do things that I, we'd hit a brick wall and say, we can't get over it. And that wall would crash and we'd go a little further and the wall would crash. And then God provided for us this incredible place that we have used now for decades to God's glory. Now, it could have been that we never got that building or got that property. Remember last week, you can do that which you think to be the will of God, not in the Word of God. God's Word didn't say buy that property. You can do that which you think is the will of God. You can do it with a good motive in your heart, and you can still fail, but when you fail, you will be better off because of the failure. It always works. Every account of God when you see the people of God in Scripture and they go about something and they fail, watch what happens because of the failure. They come to a better place. I remember when we were in a, a pledge. I was interested in hearing you talk about giving to, to this uh, church planting. Uh, I remember when we were building one of our buildings on, on that property. And we were trying to start building something now. And, and we made a pledge. And our pledge we thought was very stretching. And I was away. And it was my conscience. It, it wasn't the Word of God. But in my conscience, in a prayer time, I sensed that God was saying, give. And I'm going to just put it to make it simple give all of your life resources, all of your savings, give it to this program. And when I mentioned that to Carol, when I got back and said, let's consider maybe changing our pledge and giving all of our life savings that we have at this point. And I remember she bowed her head and she said, I was afraid you might do something like this. <laughs> I go, really? I said, I wouldn't do it if you didn't agree. Well, she said, please give me time. 
I just don't know what to do. Well, our daughter had just gone overseas for a year, and it was not a very, uh, it was hard. She got on a ship out of high school and went over to serve for a, a year overseas, and it was before we had a, such easy access through the internet and all the stuff that we have today, and it was a hard time, and it had been a big thing to give our daughter up to go away. Carol said, just give me some time. So she's walking, uh, just on a prayer walk. And it was a beautiful day. She comes back from her prayer walk, and she says, she says, Randy, you won't believe what happened on the prayer, on my walk. I said, what? She said, the birds started mocking me. <laughs> I thought, oh, I pushed her too hard on this one, that's for sure. Well, you'd have to know, Carol, she's, she's over here. In fact, she, she's kind of just even keel, and she's not up and down real high and low and so forth. And, but I said, what are you talking about? She said, you know, I was just walking with God, being honest. I'm mad at God. And he's telling me, give my daughter away for a year like this and put her at risk, and, and he wants my daughter. And now, Lord, you're saying you, you want all of our resources. It's like you just seem to want everything. And she said, and then it hit me. Of course you want everything. It's yours. And she said, then I heard the birds chirping as they were flying above. And I remembered a poem that she had read recently. And the poem was two birds talking together. And one says to the other, says, uh, what's wrong with the, why do these people fret the way they do? And the other bird responds and says, obviously they must not have a heavenly father as cares for me and you. And she said, I'm willing. Let's do it. And we did. I won't tell you what happened as a result, but I'm telling you, God opened doors and gave us things that we could not have imagined. And we were convinced there had to be a connection. Faith. Oh, that could have failed. We could have gone into bankruptcy. Who knows? We've been better off because it happened. We always know that's the truth. Can I use one other illustration? I'm driving over here today, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I've got to speak, and got to, uh, and it reminded me what I shared with our church just a few years ago. It was on a Saturday night. I just prepared the message, getting ready to go to church. Carol says, are you ready? I said, well, I'm ready if you're talking about being prepared. But I said, I'm not even sure you understand after this many years of our marriage and uh, just what I go through as I think about speaking. Because I know everybody would just listen to someone who's been preaching for 43 years and go, oh, that's just easy and natural and so forth. I said, no, Carol, this is what it feels to me. I feel that God says to me, stand on the edge of this cliff and assume it's a mile down. And he says to me, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to just lean forward and flap your arms and you're going to fly. And I said, for 43 years, I've had this notion of, I have to lean forward now and flap my arms. And everything in me says, this ain't going to work. Uh, because I think naturally. It's hard to think supernaturally. After all these years, but you know what happens? When I lean forward and flap my arms, you know, I hear God uses this message and that message, and I go, wow. Now, it's not a horrific terrifying fear now not at all but it's always the same it's like God how are you going to use me speaking to a group of people I know it's your word but how are you going to use me every week I preach it's a faith it's a faith thing now in light of all of that I just want you to think about this 
this thing that we're calling faith, this faith endeavor, it has fear. But don't run from the fear. Acknowledge the fear and say, that's my feeling of fear. But it doesn't mean I can't go beyond it unless you don't understand number three. And that's why I close. It's brief, but it's important. Number three, faith living in the midst of the seemingly impossible, trust in God's power, not in one's own resources. See, the majority report, they said, we can't do it. Had they forgotten the 10 plagues, the Red Sea? Had they forgotten the the fire by by night and the clouds by day? Had they forgotten all about the great work that God had done to provide food from manna from heaven and from the quail that falls from heaven and uh, the water that from the rock flowed to get, did they just forget all that? And here is what Numbers 14, 11 says. When you get into chapter 14, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. So the big question is, all right, how? When that fear is gripping us, how do you get through that fear and go to say, I'm going to do what God says to do? Hear this. It is not changing your feelings. It's not. It's like what I've said, and I've got a few grandkids over here today. I pray for my grandkids. You already know that. I pray for my grandkids nearly every single day. I pray for my kids. You know, I only have a small list because I can't pray a hundred things. But you know one of the very, very first things that I pray? That they would learn to make a distinction between what they feel and what is real. If they ever can make that distinction. I used to tell them little bedside time stories when they were younger about about, uh, two little animals. And I'd pick two little animals and one would be named... Uh, real, real, and the other was named Phil. And one would, in the story, always grasp what God would say is real. And the other would do what they would feel. There's the key right there. But you've got to have power. There has to be a power source. And that's the Holy Spirit, which I ended with last week, saying we have to learn to appropriate the power of God's Spirit. I mentioned then, you can go online if you want to hear, what does that mean? I don't know how to appropriate the power of God's Spirit. I have the Spirit, I know because I'm a Christian, but how do I appropriate power to be able to do what's real instead of what I feel? And you can go to perimeter.org slash pope and just scroll down and it'll say, Randy recommends, and there'll be a thing on appropriating the power, maybe 15 or 20 minute teaching. Out of Romans chapter 6, most important thing, I think, experience of my life every day. I wake up and I say, God, now, I've got to start the day appropriating the Spirit. And I'll need to do it through the day, I know. But I'm going to start every day. I'm going to appropriate your power so that I can do what, God, you're telling me to do. If you went through chapter 14, and we won't, but if you walked through it, here's the story. The people started grumbling at Moses. We can't go in there, not just the tribe leaders that were grumbling, are against it. The people. We can't do that. Don't you tell us to go do that. Uh Uh-uh, we're not going to do it. It's better that we die than have to do that. 
Better that we return to Egypt than we do that. It cannot happen. In fact, they went so far as to say, let's appoint a new leader. We don't even like Moses. Let's get somebody that understands how we feel. Joshua and Caleb appealed and said, ooh, don't do this, guys. You know what they said? Let's stone Joshua and Caleb. That's how much they said, I can't do that which goes against what I feel. I can't do it. And I don't know what this means, but the glory of the Lord appeared. And that changed things. And the Lord says this, how long will you spurn me? How long will you not believe in me? The same text I just read. And Moses prayed in light of that. And he said, in light of your loving kindness, God, pardon our iniquities. Can I say this? Do you know the one thing we don't understand probably about our Jesus himself? That is one of the most important things we can ever learn. Do you know when he loves us the most? I asked that question to someone just recently. I said, when does he love us the most? They said, well, when we, when we obey the best. I said, you know, actually, the Word of God teaches it's when we sin the most. That's how much He loves us. When we sin the most, if we're His children, because the compassion He has for us, the heartbreak He has for us, that's when He demonstrates this incredible sense of, Oh, I love you so much. And so he understands. And we come to him. And we say, God, I'm scared. I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm afraid if I do it. And that's when God's compassion will come all the stronger. As we saw here, actually. Are there circumstances? Are there, are there going to be consequences? Yes. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have compassion. That's why he gives us consequences. Well, if you follow the story much further, after that prayer, he pardons them. But for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. Most of you know that. Every person died in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. They didn't. If you continued the text, it would be 40 years later that they go to this place called Jericho. And you remember how they had their first great victory? They walked around the walls, and who knocked the walls down? God did it. He said, I'm going to keep showing you, it's me. It is me that does what you can't do. I told you to take the land, and I said you'd have to do it in my power. And then they saw it happen. They took the promised land. Well, we're already clearly illustrating the importance of faith and what it is. But I said as I close, there would be a, a deeper meaning. And that is this. The reality is that well, the, the promised land is not just Canaan for the Israelites. He's teaching us that there is a Messiah. There's Jesus. Everything's pointing to Jesus. And the grand story of the Bible is this big picture that tells this story that gets us to see that there's one coming and his name is Jesus. And he is the one. He is our salvation. And the faith of salvation comes through him, not by what we do. Any more than the taking of the, this promised land is by what you do. No, it's by what God does that gets us there. 
And oh, by the way, if you don't have, if you don't let God do it, then there are deep consequences. You die in your sin. So he said, it's everything from salvation and beyond. It's faith. You live by faith. And you don't get confused with the feeling part. And you say, give me power. And what it is, I'm going to do what you tell me to do in your word. Then I'm going to be able to do what you tell me through authorities, some I won't even agree with. That takes God's power. And you know what? Even my conscience, I'll listen to that conscience. As long as it doesn't go against the word of God, I'll follow the conscience only by his power. Until he shows me I've done the wrong thing. Not wrong thing, the unwise thing, if that be the case. It's a great formula. It's called faith. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, it can exist. And when it does, you're going to see great things happen. Would you do this as we pray? I want you to pray a prayer with me. It's one I've challenged several thousands of people over the years. Every person that comes into Perimeter Church, I always challenge them with a, a two prayers that take about five to ten seconds to pray. I said, here's the prayers that we pray. You remember the little motto of faith, attempt something so great for God, it's doomed to fail, lest God be in it. I mentioned it last week if you were here. I said, you know what, why not make that our life pursuit? To attempt things that are doomed to failure, lest he be in it. Both in what he is going to do in us and what he's going to do through us. So start small. Something you can do. A little tiny step. And here's the first prayer. God, would you do something in my life so seemingly impossible that it could never happen unless you be in it? Take away that bitterness. Take away that anger. Take away the lust. Take away whatever it is. But would you do in me and if you say, oh, I've done that, oh, God could never, you don't know how much bad stuff's in my heart. Let me tell you, when he does it, he's going to do it in your life who thinks, I can't do that. You're halfway home right now. Ask him to do it. See if he won't do it by his power. So, Lord, do something so doomed to failure in my life. I mean, do something in my life that's doomed to failure, lest you be in it. And then this, God, would you do something through me? See if you put someone in your heart, serving somebody, accomplishing something for his name, for his kingdom, for his glory. And say, would you do something through me? So much so it would be doomed to failure. Let's God be in it. And if you say, well, God could never use me because I don't speak good and I don't have any gifts and I'm not very strong and I don't have the personality. Wow, watch out. God's going to do it in your life because he'll get all the glory. You won't get it. You'll have to say, God, look what you did. And so in my life and through my life, let's pray that as we close. Let's bow. Father in heaven, some of us here are yearning, longing right now to see faith instead of following feelings. And I pray, Father, that you would grant there to be an understanding of the power of your spirit that we might right now be able to say to you, I am inviting you to do something so amazing in my life and then something so amazing through my life that it truly is doomed to failure unless you be in the middle of it. 
And I now invite you. I remember about my own brokenness, my sin nature. And in light of that, I know your nature has now taken me. And remembering that, I now surrender my heart to you. And I invite you, let your spirit empower me as I leave this place to the end that you would be honored. And we pray it in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.